for a few years now, and I think you'll enjoy reading uh, some of those articles. Might know a few of those men that uh, uh, that write for the paper, brother. Uh, my brother Jim Lewis will write from it from time to time. I think some of you probably know brother brother Lewis and different ones uh, that uh, uh, that appear in that paper. Well, I'm proud to be here with you this morning. Congregation comes highly recommended, but I don't know if I should tell you who recommended you. <laughs> but uh, Wesley uh, Simons, and uh, so I don't know if that's uh, good for me or what, but. Uh, you know, it's, uh, Wes is a good man. And I believe they're doing a good work up in Elizabethan. He's after Jackson. He wants Jackson to come up there and go to school. And of course, Jackson thinks about the prospect of living that far from mom and daddy. I don't know if he's, uh, if he's sold on that idea. But it's a good school. And uh, they're off to a good start there. Hope many more years of service for them. Well, I'd like for us to go through uh, the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts. And uh, I don't know that we'll get all the way uh, through all of the material that I'd like to cover. When does the Bible class end? We start at 10.30, what time do we, or 9.30, what time do we? 1015, okay, very good. Well, um, I'll tell you what I have in mind to do. I want to study with you about the way that the church in Jerusalem grew, the way that God blessed that congregation, but also the way that Satan tested that congregation. And then we want to notice how the brethren had to overcome everything that the devil threw at them to try to get them to stop. And I believe there's a great lesson there for us. The devil is working very hard to stop faithful congregations of the Lord's church today. Even, even the Christian worldview in general, you know, we're under attack. And so these are uh, troublesome times. But uh, I believe this lesson here today may... What we can glean from the book of Acts may just encourage us to keep the faith, to keep uh, pressing forward, to have some uh, real determination and resolve about ourselves and the work that we're doing for the Lord. So we begin in Acts chapter 2. What do you find there? It's the, the birthday of the church, isn't it? And so you've got here Peter and the rest of the apostles and their hearts are set in the right place. All they can think about is serving the Lord. They, they just want to preach Christ and Him crucified. Now isn't, I mean that's a beautiful, noble intent, isn't it? There, there's no malice in their hearts. There, there's no ill will toward man. There's no church politicking going on. There's, you know, there are no sections or divisions in the church. It's just the apostles preaching Christ and Him crucified. And 3,000 souls... Uh, the men were numbered uh, that day, uh, obeying the gospel. What a glorious beginning for the Lord's church. And so look with me there in verse 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking of bread and in prayer. 
And so you see here the early church, it's beginning, what a beautiful start. Continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, all they knew was the gospel. There were no creeds, there was, there was none of the things that we are facing today. Just a wonderful time for the, for the Lord's church. And they were happy and they had one accord, one heart. Notice verse 44. Uh, all they believed were together, had all things in common. They were unselfish. Notice they sold their possessions and goods, parted them to all men as every man had de- need. In verse 46, they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house to eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved, or uh, some uh, translation would say those who were being saved. Okay, so uh, here we have the, the beginning days and possibly weeks of the Lord's church in the city of Jerusalem. These people have their heart set in the right place. I think we could all agree that. There's just, there's nothing, there's, there's no malice there. There's no unfaithfulness there. There's no, uh, there's no uh, haranguing or any of the, backbiting and carrying on that might go on in the church today. None of that. And notice what happens. Verse 47, the Lord added to the church daily. So here's point number one, and we'll see this and restate this over and over again. Brethren, God will bless you if your heart is in the right place. If you're set on doing the right thing with with your life, God will bless you. If you're set on having a family that that will say, me and my house shall serve the Lord, God will bless you. He surely will. That's just the way God works. Now, there's a corresponding passage that you might, if you like to take marginal notes, you might just add there. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 and following, we see how Paul says, well, I have sown and Apollos has watered. But God gave the increase. Beloved, God gives increase. When we sow and water His Word, God blesses us. He always has. He always will. And so we have to really just set our heart in the right place and know that those blessings will come. God will bless us. And uh, another passage, Luke 8, 15. You remember the seed that was sown in the good heart It brought forth fruit, but do you remember with what? Brought forth fruit with patience. So it it doesn't necessarily come overnight. Not all, you, some of you may have already started your garden for this year. I imagine you have. Not all seed is going to sprout overnight, is it? It's going to take some time and then it'll come up. And even when it first comes up, it's not bringing forth fruit, is it? So it takes time for, that, for even that young tender plant to mature for it to bring forth fruit. But that's the way that the seed of the kingdom works as well. So what we're seeing is God will bless us. You set your heart in the right place, God will bless you. You decide for your family, we're going to be a Christian family. We're going to be at church when the doors are open. We're going to study our Bible. We're going to pray at supper time. We're going to... Uh, We're going to pray during times of catastrophe and during times of great blessing. We're going to be a praying, studying, faithful, serving family. Teach your children to serve the Lord. 
to do for others, to love their neighbor as themselves. And God will bless you. I believe that with all my heart. But now here's, here's another point that comes into the picture. Notice as it's Peter and it's John, and of course we see in Acts 3, the man that they healed. The church grew to be about 5,000 people. But you notice chapter 4, verse 1. As they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They laid hands on them, put them in hold until the next day, for it was now eventide. And so, what do you see? The devil gets busy. Here you have God's people who have pure hearts, pure intentions. They're wanting simply to serve the Lord. That's all it is. We just want to preach Christ and we want to save souls. And the Lord is blessing them. And then here's point number two. God will bless you. If you set your heart to doing right, he surely will. But point number two, Satan will test you. Satan will test you. Sometimes uh, we have our jail ministries, and you'll see people converted out of jail ministries, and uh, or perhaps even out of some uh, drug treatment program, a person will be converted. And it's almost as though as soon as they uh, set their heart to doing right, the devil comes at them with everything that, they, that he has. All those old cronies come back into the picture that bring all of the foul behavior and all of the evil allurements back into the picture and he really works on them and tempts them. You know, uh, I've heard it expressed this way. Well, when they were, the temptations weren't as strong when they were living that way before. Why is that? Well, the devil already had you. And now that he's lost you, he wants you back and he's going to work doubly hard to get you back. Have you ever noticed how that works? You set your heart to doing right. You set your heart to doing right for your family. And the next thing you know, he's, he's coming after your family with everything he's got. He's coming after you with everything he's got. What about a congregation of the Lord's people that sets their heart to doing right? You think the devil's just going to let that congregation rock along? He's going to do everything he can to stop that church. And something we ought not underestimate the devil is uh, patient, isn't he? If he can wait a generation to take over a person, take over a family, take over a congregation, he'll wait a generation, won't he? How many congregations of the Lord's Church do you know that 50 years ago were faithful, had uh, some of the great gospel preachers uh, of, the, of the time preaching for them? held some great gospel meetings and just uh, really great uh, examples for all the church. And today they're liberal. Today they're off in, in left field. They're not doing right. It happens, doesn't it? And, and how does it happen? Well, it's, it's this way. If you give the devil an inch, he'll take a mile. He surely will. You know, uh, if you stop and think, how did the church become divided? Well, it started with one compromise. 
Somebody somewhere said, we need to have a presiding elder over this eldership. I want to be the chief elder of the eldership. And then it began to be, well, I want to be the presiding elder over all the elders in this area. And then it came down to the fact, well, I want to be the presiding elder over all the presiding elders in the world. And it was the Bishop of Rome who took that title in 606, a man by the name of Boniface. And the bishop in Constantinople, he said, well, no, sir, I want to be the head over the church. And so there you have that division between East and West, Orthodox and Catholic, and it's just been division ever since. How did all that division start? Because somewhere somebody let some elder get away with the idea of being the chief elder. Had they stopped it and, as Barney would say, nip it in the bud... What, the world might be a different place today. If you begin to compromise with the devil, there is no end to it. So if our families, if we begin to compromise on the kind of music we listen to, the television programs, the movies we watch, where is it going to end? You begin to compromise and you say, well, okay, let's not uh, worry about having prayer at supper time. We'll just all eat in front of the TV. Or nowadays, we'll all eat while the kids swipe on their phones, and parents too. Saw something about that on the news this morning. Uh, look, you, uh, you can, you're, just, you're just giving the devil an inch. And before it's over, he'll take a mile. And you'll be so overcome in the devil's tactics, you won't know how to get out of it. Well, the devil tries here. And I want you to see how Peter answered. Verse 8. Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Quoting from Isaiah 20, 28 and 16, and, and Psalm 118, 22 as well. Now notice verse 12, what a statement. Neither is there salvation in any other. All oh, the boldness of Peter. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Oh my, the backbone of that man. His life is hanging in the balance. And how much does he compromise? Not one inch. Now, verse 19 Peter and John answers, and they say, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Of course, as you continue reading, what do you find? They, this stand that they made encouraged other Christians. Verse 31, and others, notice at the end of that verse, spake the word of God with boldness. So their example of their boldness, while well, it encouraged and strengthened others to be bold as well. 
You know, isn't it an interesting thing? If you're weak, you're probably going to make others weak. You're, you know, if, if you're compromising and if you're getting lax, if you're giving the devil an inch, others are going to probably follow right along with you. But if you draw a hard line in the sand and you say, here I stand and I will not be moved, I believe others will stand with you. Now, they may not stand immediately, but they will in time. And that's what you have here. And then notice what happens. Those who believed were of one heart and one soul, verse 32. Isn't that a beautiful statement? Boy, that'll preach right there. Maybe I ought to just stop and preach that. How important. The unity of the church. And again, hear what you're seeing. There's no malice. There's no evil intentions in, in the hearts of these people. Until we come to verse, or chapter 5, I'm sorry. And a husband and wife by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. I can almost see the conversation being something along these lines. They've sold some land. And Sapphira says, well now Ananias, don't give all that money. We need, we need a nest egg. We might need some of that. I could see it now. For some reason it just seems so familiar to me. Well, wives are good at that, aren't they? All right. And then Ananias says, But Barnabas gave all he had, and if I don't give all that I have, I'm going to look bad. I'm, I'm not going to look as faithful as Barnabas. And so they decide, Well, we'll just tell a big old fat story. We'll give part of it, but we'll play along like we gave it all. And the lesson that we learn in all of this is, listen, you can hide your sins from others. You can even hide your sins from yourself. You can do that. You can harden your heart to such a point that you just don't even realize what you're doing. But you cannot hide them from God. And God made his presence known and his judgment known in their case. And uh, what you have here is, again, the church is doing wonderfully well. They've overcome uh, one instance where the devil came after them. And so now what, well, the devil says, well, if I can't get at them from the outside in, I'll get at them from the inside. Ananias and Sapphira, that was a brother and a sister in Christ. A few verses later, we'll study about the Grecian widows. They had a complaint. They felt like they were being overlooked. They were sisters in Christ. If the devil can't tear us down from the outside, he'll sure enough try to tear us down from the inside. He will. And I'm talking about, look, personally, he'll work on you from in here. Family-wise, he'll turn mother against daughter, father against son, son against father. And in the church, brother against brother. Elders against members, members against elders, preacher against uh, elders. Just, just have a congregation rife with division. And the devil the whole while just sitting back laughing. Oh, I am doing a good job today. Well, this particular instance, there's... there's there are lessons to be learned 
from Ananias and Sapphira that we just don't have the time to get into. But do you notice how God dealt with this situation quickly, decisively? He didn't allow it to linger or fester. And, uh, and then the congregation moved on. And notice verse 14, And believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes, both men and women. So what happens? The church says, okay, the devil is confronting us. All right, now here's point three, and, and we need to go ahead and make this point. God will bless you. You set your heart to doing right, God will bless. You set your heart to doing right, Satan will test. You set your heart to doing right, you can never rest. Once you start down this road, there's no looking back. Luke 9, 63, he who takes his hand, hold to the plow and looks back, isn't fit for the kingdom of God. There's no looking back. You can't rest. There's no sleeping on the job. Awake thou that sleepest, arise from the dead, and Christ will give thee light. Ephesians 5, 14. I like to say that just about right now in case somebody's, you know, dozing off. It's a good verse. Awake thou that sleepest. There's no napping on this job, is there? There's no vacation from Christ, is there? My grandma Bates and her Bible had a little saying written down, there's never a time to be unchristian. Isn't that good? There's never a time to be unchristian. We can never rest. We can never stop doing the Lord's will. No matter what the devil throws at us, we become that more determined. We don't stop. And what's the end result? Notice, more were added to the Lord. Multitudes, both men and women, never quit, never give up, never give in. And God will continue to bless you. He surely will. Now, the devil isn't done, is he? Oh, he's resourceful. And he has a good memory. And he's tenacious. And so he gets these Sadducees and the high priest again. And notice verse 17 there, filled with indignation. Now here you have the brethren, their hearts are filled with love and and the Lord Jesus, and the hope of saving souls. And here you have the Sadducees, the instruments of the devil, and they're just filled with indignation. And again, what do you see? They lay their hands on the apostles. They put them in prison. But I want you to see the accusation, verse 28, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. What a wonderful accusation that would be of any congregation of the Lord's church in any community. Oh, if the devil could just come here and say, you filled Chattanooga with, the, with your doctrine, you'd want to stand up and say amen. And we want to fill the whole state before we're done. The whole country, the whole world. Take the world for Christ Jesus. Well, they, you intend to bring this man's blood upon us? Well, no, that's what they said to Pilate already, wasn't it? His blood be upon us and our children. But Peter and the other apostles said, we ought to obey men rather than God. 
I was uh, recently confronted by an eldership who told me, you're our employee, and you're going to do what we say. Now, what they say was unscriptural, a policy that you can't find in the Bible. And I'll share more of this with you, I guess, at 5 o'clock if you want to hear that old tale. But this is what I answered. We ought to obey God rather than men. That's my answer. And I'll go to judgment with that answer. Sure will. You see, what's happening in the church is like that old frog in the kettle. You know, you put a kettle down with some water in it and you set that frog in that water. And you just start turning that dial one degree at a time. And that frog will eventually, his body will just become acclimated to the new temperature. He'll just be cozy as he can be and he'll sit there. Turn it up another degree. Let it adjust. Another degree. Let it adjust. Another degree. Let it adjust. The frog will sit there and boil to death and never know what happened. And how did it happen? One degree at a time. What's happening in the Lord's church today? Christians, Christian families, and whole congregations are being boiled to death and the devil stew one degree at a time. One degree at a time. If you ever start down that path, friends, where's it going to end? And how many people are you going to take with you? Something to think about, isn't it? So when they came at Peter and the rest of the apostles, Peter just stood up and he said, No, sir. Mm -mm. No, sir, we're going to obey God rather than men. Now you do what you think you need to do, but we're going to obey God and that's where we're going to stay. Friends, we need that kind of resolve in the Lord's church today. We need that kind of resolve in our hearts. We need that kind of resolve in our families. And uh, notice verse 42, the result... As they left the presence of the council, verse 41, rejoicing that they were able to suffer, you know, they, they put some stripes on them. They beat them for saying what they said. I've got some stripes on me for saying what I said. Cost me my job. That's why I'm here with you today. Put some stripes on my family. Well, they were cozy as could be in killing Alabama. But they left rejoicing, being counted worthy to suffer shame in his name. And I want you to see the result. Daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. You can never rest. God will bless. The devil will test. And we cannot rest. Does it make sense now? Now notice what happens. Verse 7 of the next chapter. The word of God increased and the number of disciples multitude in Jerusalem greatly and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Isn't that something? The priest, some of these guys may have been standing around watching as, as the apostles were beaten. 
And now, because of their boldness and their continued preaching and teaching and the power of the Word of God, now they're obeying the gospel. And they're teaching and preaching Christ. Isn't that an amazing thing? God will bless. He surely will. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? What God does in this world. And the wonders that God works. Well, God will bless. And the devil will test. Notice verse uh, 11. You have some stubborn men uh, who were, well, let me say, uh, suborned men who were, verse 12, stirred up. Verse 13, set up false witnesses. Verse 14, uh, alleging uh, of this Jesus Christ to destroy the temple and the customs which Moses delivered us. And then that brings a man by the name of Stephen and a great sermon in Acts chapter 7 uh, into the picture. Of course, this all happening, certain men in the, in the synagogue, verse, verse 9. And these people... Stoned Stephen to death for his sermon. But what did the disciples do? Verse 1 of chapter 8. They were scattered through all the world. And what did they do? They carried the gospel where they went. It's an amazing thing. God took a tragedy a heinous murder and he turned it into to that point the great evangelistic effort of the church of that day the apostles stayed in Jerusalem who was it that took the gospel then to all the world the members the you and the me had we been there you and I would have been the ones who carried the gospel to all the world Something happened to these brethren in Jerusalem. They got a hold of something they weren't going to turn loose. And when they had an opportunity to go share it, that's exactly what they did. In Acts chapter 1, you have an outline there of the book of, of Acts. The gospel would be made known in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the world. Well, that's what, what's happening. And so you have Philip preaching in Samaria in Acts chapter 8. But then something else happens. God, God blesses the church. The church doesn't rest. Now they've just lost Stephen. There's no telling the amazing things that God could have done with Stephen. Have you ever thought about that? The things that God could have done with Stephen. What a great preacher. And an unselfish man and a servant. He was one of those who was selected to wait on the Grecian widows. Heart of a servant, a great gospel preacher, bold. Oh, what God could have done with Stephen. And the devil took him away from him. So what does God do? He inserts the greatest gospel preacher outside of his son to ever live, the Apostle Paul. God will bless 
Satan will test. And we cannot rest. We just keep on keeping on. We're like that little energizer bunny. We just keep going and going. Of course, Paul faces his hardships too, doesn't he? And that will take us throughout the rest of the book of Acts, won't it? Oh, Paul will face his uh, difficulties. And uh, certainly this will all be played out again in the life of Paul. Of course, in Acts chapter 10, the gospel is taken to the Gentiles. Peter preaches the gospel to Cornelius and his household and uh, goes back and relates what happened in Acts chapter 11. The Lord gives us the name Christian. The disciples were literally divinely called. That In Hugo McCord's translation, that's how he words that. Divinely called, called of God. There are two words translated called. And uh, one is called of men. This is what you find in 1 Corinthians 5, so-called. If any brother, so-called brother. And then you have this called, divinely called, called of God. The disciples were given the name Christian by God. In Isaiah, we find Isaiah 62 and many other passages in Isaiah, after the Gentiles were going to be brought into the kingdom, God would give them a new name, an everlasting name, a name which would not be cut off, a name which the mouth of the Lord would name. What was that name? You see it right here. Christians. And God didn't give that name until after the Gentiles were brought in, all according to his plan from all along. All things are going wonderfully well. Paul and uh, Barnabas, they're ready to go preach the gospel to all the world. And uh, the church at Antioch is thriving. And the church at Jerusalem is still clicking right along. And now you've got churches in Samaria. And it's, this movement is really beginning to gain traction. God is blessing, right? And then we insert another King Herod. Tell you what, if you ever want to study, if you, ladies, if you like your stories, that's what Ma Bolin used to call them, or stories. If you like soap opera drama, study the history of the Herodian family, the Herodian dynasty. What a bag of mixed nuts that was. <laughs> and uh, so here you have another of this branch. And notice what he does. He stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. God will bless. Satan will test. Beloved, it is inevitable. You set your heart to doing right, and the devil's going to come at you. This time he took James. Took James away from them. Took Peter Going to kill Peter. Of course, an angel releases Peter. And uh, what you find is when Peter is imprisoned, he could have given up. He could have blamed God. He could have said, what's it all worth? I'm, you know what? My religion must be wrong. I wouldn't be suffering like I'm suffering if I was really doing God's will. Oh, his mind could have been clouded with doubt. That's what the devil loves, isn't it? Get us doubting the word of God. Get us doubting what we're doing. Sure. 
Peter didn't do any of that. What did he do? He just sat back, kind of like what Moses did. You remember at the brink of the Red Sea? Stand still and see the works of God. And that's what Peter did. He just said, I'll wait on the Lord. Here comes Daniel in the lion's den. I'm going to just wait on God's deliverance and come what may. I'll be okay. God delivered him. Verse 24, what do you see? The word of God grew and multiplied. Oh, by the way, what happened to old Herod? Didn't end too well for that old fella, did it? See verse 23. Eating of worms. Ooh, terrible ending for that fella. You know, uh, the worm's not going to die in another place, too. And it's going to be a terrible ending for all those who would stretch out their hand to vex the church. And so you have Paul and Barnabas. They're going to preach the gospel. And uh, the first missionary journey commences. So we got through what I was uh, aiming through these 12 uh, chapters. Miracles never cease, do they? I guess uh, I was wondering if we'd cover all of that in the allotted time. So do you remember these three points? Set your heart to doing right. What's God going to do? Bless. What's the devil going to do? And what can we never do? See it? Makes sense, doesn't it? And why the Lord will just keep using us and, the, and, and we'll continue to be a blessing. And someday we'll be able to say as Paul, I finished my course. I'm ready to go home. Ready to go be with the Lord. And that's really what it's all about, isn't it? All right, let's close with prayer. Our dear God and our Father in heaven, we thank thee for this day and for thy many wonderful blessings. We're thankful, Father, for the encouragement that we find in the book of Acts. We're thankful for the examples of Peter and Stephen and John and James and Paul and others, Father, who held fast to your word, who were persecuted, who suffered for your name's sake, and yet they, they never gave up, Father. And we pray for that kind of strength and boldness, Father. Use us, and we pray, Father, that we could be faithful and that we could be courageous and Keep the faith even when we're tempted to compromise or to lose our faith or to doubt your holy will. Father, strengthen us and forgive us when we fail thee and keep us in thy care. This is our prayer, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.